Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewire.news podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that really just wants to get this man out of office. It's getting ridiculous. I'm tired. I'm irritated. I'm slightly aggro. And I want it to stop. I'm Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo. Rewire.news is dedicated to bringing you the best reproductive rights and social justice news, commentary, and analysis on the web. And the Team Legal Podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. Jess, so you know how much I love calling people out, right? Sure. Like, if you're a bad person with bad opinions that are (laughs) harming marginalized people, I have no problem calling you out about it. That's the truth. And if my calling out includes calling a bad person with bad opinions a brainless numpty, perhaps, (laughs) then that person probably deserves it and should stop being a brainless numpty. It's true. You do really have a thing about brainless numpties. I do. But when someone I love says or does something that harms marginalized people, I don't like to call them out. I like to call them in. Wait, what are you talking about? What's the difference here? Um, well, it's a difference in tone, primarily. Like a okay. call out basically tries to expose the brainless numpty for the brainless numpty that they are. <laughs> but a call in is an attempt to get someone who is doing or saying something harmful to change their behavior or their viewpoints through patience and compassion. You? Patience and compassion? Hey, man, I'm capable of patience and compassion. I'm a goddamn delight, Jessica. Oh, I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. It's true. You really are. But okay, hold on. Why are we talking about calling out versus calling in Imani? Because today the task falls upon us to call in Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Oh, we love her. No, what did she do? Well, you heard her during the oral arguments during the Title VII cases, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did. It made me sad. I mean, she said some pretty cringeworthy things during those oral arguments. So, you know what? It would be marvelous if we could get her to be better on trans rights because trans people really need her to get better. But don't we need all the Supreme Court justices to get better on trans rights? Well, yeah, we do. But, you know, when it comes to some of the more numpty-oriented justices... Numpty-oriented justices! (laughs) We're going to put that on a judicial questionnaire moving forward. Who are the numpty-oriented justices? But, you know, when it comes to the numpty-oriented justices, we can just call them out for their terrible opinions and viewpoints about trans people, and then we can just move on because they don't have the capacity to get better. Yeah, okay, I see where you're going with this. You're saying that when it comes to Justice Sotomayor, she does have the capacity to get better. Right. That's why we need to talk to her about trans rights in a compassionate and patient way. So we can lead her to the trans promised land where no trans person is discriminated against because of who they are, where everyone believes that trans rights are human rights, and no one gives a shit about who is going into what bathroom. Precisely. We need to call her in. And I think it's just a matter of an explanation, right? Like, I feel like if we were to take her out for drinks, maybe have a nice (laughs) bottle of rosé on a patio somewhere, we could talk to her about trans people and the law. And in about, like, I'd say an hour, we could make her understand. And then we can all hug and go on a bike ride. Wait, hold on. I was tracking until that bike ride part. Why are we going on a bike ride? Because that's what friends do, Jess. They go on bike rides together. 
All right. I guess that's true. I'm not going to argue with that point. So that's what we're going to do in this episode. We're going to go bike riding with Justice Sotomayor and call her in on trans rights. Yes. Is this a tandem? I'm picturing it once on like one of those long, not, you know, what's what's a bicycle with three people called? (laughs) Anyway, one of those. Either that or like a bike with like a sidecar, you know, I could put my dog in it and put him in some goggles. Yes, we are in a tandem bike and Justice Sotomayor is riding in the sidecar. That's the image. But that's what we're going to do. We are going to supplement our, quote, Sonia Sotomayor is a boss episode that we did back in April of 2018. We're going to supplement that episode with a, we still think Sonia Sotomayor is a boss, but we need to talk about how she can be better when it comes to trans rights, and then we can go bike riding. That's what we're going to do. That's a long episode title, Imani. (laughs) Okay, fine. We We can workshop it. We can workshop it. So in this episode, we're going to call in Justice Sonia Sotomayor in the hopes that we can urge her to evolve on trans rights quickly. It is absolutely critical that Justice Sotomayor grasp the issues and rights at stake when it comes to trans people. The bottom line is that it is imperative that Justice Sotomayor specifically understands and be 100% sure that trans rights are human rights. Also, we need her to understand that people who are anti-trans, as if a person can be opposed to the existence of people, we need to make her understand that those people cannot dictate what rights trans people are afforded. Agreed. Okay, so let's catch the listeners up here, Imani. What happened? Why are we calling her in? So during oral arguments in the Title VII cases, which you attended, Mm -hmm. it became clear that the court's most progressive justice doesn't really understand trans rights in the way that she should and in the way that we and trans people specifically need her to. Yeah, it appeared that she was subscribing to this whole idea of bathroom panic. Right. So why don't you explain to the listeners what the bathroom panic is? Sure. So bathroom panic began in earnest several years ago in North Carolina, and it was happening around the time the legislature passed a bathroom discrimination bill. And it was that bill that really lit the bathroom fire. But we should probably give a brief history to demonstrate that really people have been panicking about who's going into what bathrooms and why since the 1970s. All right. So... In March 2016, the North Carolina legislature passed a bathroom discrimination bill as a response to a public accommodations law that the city of Charlotte passed in February 2016, right? So Mm -hmm. in February 2016, Charlotte passes this public accommodations law that says you can't discriminate against trans people and let them go to the goddamn bathroom wherever they want to. In response (laughs) to that, the North Carolina legislature introduced and passed on the same day a bill that basically said, you know what? Trans people have to go to the bathrooms that correspond with their, quote, biological sex. Moving back a bit further, that legislation was in response to a bunch of states and municipalities passing trans-friendly bathroom bills in 2015. Right. And in July of that year, also, we had the Obama Department of Justice taking some really important steps in this area, right? They first sided with Gavin Grimm in his case against the Gloucester County School Board, and that was really the first high-profile case of a trans student seeking access to facilities that correspond with their gender identity. Then in April of that same year, President Obama opened the first gender-neutral bathroom in the White House. Like, that's a big deal. Huge deal. 
right? So yep. these this wave of trans-friendly bills were in response to what we call trans-surveillance bills that states like Texas and others were passed. And those were bills that required bathroom's choice to correspond with the sex assigned at birth. So I have to wonder, what is the plan to police this bathroom surveillance nonsense, right? I mean, are we expected to have genital inspections at bathroom door entrances? Are we going to force people to carry their birth certificates with them to the bathroom so people can determine whether or not the genitals they have correspond with the genitals that they are, quote, supposed to have based on their birth certificate? What's the deal? What is the deal? <laughs> Excellent <laughs> questions, because, you know, people have been freaking out about these this idea like unisex bathrooms you know, along with abortion. I don't know. Mm -hmm. These are ideas that killed the Equal Rights Amendment in the 1970s. So Phyllis Schlafly was worried about this stuff. So you'd think they'd have some time to cook up at least, you know, a plan to enforce it. You would think, but unfortunately, these people aren't the brightest bulbs in the box. And it's not real. And it's also not real. But the point is, people have been freaking out about bathrooms for decades. And that mm -hmm. freak out has become a full on meltdown in recent years. It really has. And it was sad then to see Justice Sotomayor pick up on this. Mm -hmm. And really, especially her case of bathroom fever became most visible in the Harris Funeral Homes case. And that's the case involving transgender employee Amy Stevens. Now, at the beginning of his oral argument on behalf of Amy Stevens, David Cole, who was arguing the case for the American Civil Liberties Union, made three key arguments. One, just like the plaintiff in the 1989 Price Waterhouse case, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, mm -hmm. Stevens had been punished for not conforming to sex stereotypes. Two, Stevens was fired for identifying as a woman only because she was assigned a male sex at birth. And that, Cole argued, is a clear-cut case of discrimination with a basis in sex. And third, Stevens was fired for changing sex, which is comparable to being fired for changing religion. And can I just jump in for a minute and just tell you that I literally had to convert my Twitter account on the day of oral arguments to a David <laughs> Cole stan account because... My God, was he masterful in those oral arguments? Like, if you were to take a masterclass on how to do well arguing before a court, especially the Supreme Court, David Cole would be able to teach that masterclass. He was so clear and concise. He was so just on point. There was not a lot of extra fluff in what he was saying. He just got right to the point. And what was frustrating is that even though he was so clear cut in the points that he was mm -hmm. making, the justices kept wanting to talk about goddamn bathrooms when Harris Funeral Homes is not a bathroom case, you know, and Cole just kept trying to keep the justices on point and kept mm -hmm. trying to avoid wading off into the bathroom panic weeds. But Sonia Sotomayor would not let him and then made this really unfortunate comment. Mr. Cole, let's not avoid the difficult issue, okay? You have a transgender person who rightly is identifying as a woman and wants to use the woman's bedroom, rightly, wrongly, not a moral choice, but this is what they identify with. Their need is genuine. I'm accepting all of that, yeah. and, and they want to use the woman's bathroom. But there are other women who are made uncomfortable, and not merely uncomfortable, but who would feel intruded upon if someone who still had male characteristics walked into their bathroom. That's why we have different 
bathrooms. So the hard question is, how do we deal with that? that is, yeah. um, and, and what in the law will guide judges in balancing those things? That's really what I think the question is about. Well, that, that, is a, that, is, that is a question, Justice Sotomayor. It is not the question in this case. I, Mr. Cole, that's yes, so, and, because and it, and it, the, the, once we decide the case in your favor, then that question is inevitable. Yikes, Amani. Double yikes, triple yikes. I award Sonia Sotomayor one yikes, a certificate of yike. I can, I mean, I will tell you that sitting in the courtroom and hearing this happen real time, there was a visible sucking of air through the teeth among many journalists as this was happening. Really? Yeah. So, but you know what was also weird about that? She also asked attorney Pam Carlin about bathrooms in the first case that the court heard that day, Bostick versus Clayton County. And that's the case involving a man who claims he was fired for being gay. It's not even a trans case. It has nothing to do with all this bathroom locker room shenanigans. So what the hell, man? (laughs) You know, and also Sonia Sotomayor asked the very first bathroom question of any of the justices. The very first. The The very first. And the fact that she did so early on in a case not even involving trans employees suggests that she's wrestling with this issue. It really does. And if the court's most progressive justice is wrestling with bathroom panic, it's likely that other folks are as well. So here's an idea. Why don't we go ahead and debunk some of these bathroom myths? I am on board for that. So first, let's talk about privacy concerns. Yes, let's. There are folks who support these bathroom discrimination bills who frequently prattle on about how people have an, quote, expectation of privacy in the bathroom and that permitting people who may not have the same genitals as that bald lady with the triangle skirt, you know, the one who's (laughs) on the bathroom door for women, assuming that the bald lady with the triangle skirt is cisgender, of course, but we're going to go ahead and assume (laughs) that. But People are saying it's that, all fraught, right? But apparently, if you don't have the same genitals as this triangle skirt lady, that's going to lead to cisgender women feeling uncomfortable or unsafe somehow peeing in a stall next to a trans woman. So now this unspoken presumption is that trans women are infiltrating women's bathrooms because they have some sort of perverted agenda. A, an agenda in the bathroom. Right. Your bathroom agenda besides going to take a whiz. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, and this argument just collapses with even a modicum of rational thought. So first of all, when it comes to the invasion of privacy, one has to question what that privacy is. Right. Is it using the same bathroom as someone with different genitals? And if so, how is a person supposed to determine who has what genitals? Mm -hmm. Certainly a concrete determination of a person's genitals would require some sort of inspection. And that seems like a far worse invasion of privacy than some nebulous concern that someone in the bathroom may have different genitals than you. So that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, right. you know, I have a privacy concern in not having my sex and gender being inspected broadly right. by the public. What about arguments around safety? What like I hear, you know, this, this these are like dangerous places, Imani. What are these safety concerns all about? 
You know, first of all, there is not a single reported case of a trans woman infiltrating a woman's bathroom to commit a crime, whether a sex crime or otherwise. Now, you know, we did some I did some research on this and there hasn't been a lot of data published since 2016. But in a piece published by Vox in 2016, multiple investigations have found that states and schools that have had legal protection for trans people, they have never linked an instance of sexual assault or harassment in a bathroom to trans friendly policies. Right. Actually, the only bathroom harassment that's going on is bathroom harassment against trans people. Right. Like, I'm yeah, this whole bathroom panic has actually led to non trans people being harassed because they look like they might be trans because like, for example, they have a short haircut. Like, this is the very definition of panic, yes. right? I think of it as, like, a parallel to stranger danger that we t- that yes. we teach our kids about, right? <laughs> yes. Like, the actual danger is not the stranger that might attack you. The actual danger in this instance is to trans folks who are just trying to go to the goddamn bathroom. Right, right. It reminds me of the John Mulaney bit where he's talking about street smarts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Time for Street Smarts with Detective J.J. Bittenbinder. Shut up, you're all gonna die. Street Smarts. That was the general tone. Like, bathroom smarts. There are people in the bathroom that are trying to kill you. What do you do? Street Smarts. I mean, it's just like... It's absolutely absurd. Okay, so along that line, though, I hear this quote-unquote common sense concern, right? Won't mixing up bathrooms just cause all sorts of societal chaos, right? We heard that in um, massive social upheaval. That's what Justice Gorsuch was so concerned with in in oral arguments, where we just can't tell who's peeing where and everyone is uncomfortable (laughs) as a result. Like... I thought that's common sense. Don't we all need to know where people are peeing and why? Jess, where have you peed and when did you pee? I mean, what are we doing here? Are we having McCarthy trials about bathrooms? I mean, look, folks like to argue that forcing people to use bathrooms that correspond to their biological sex is going to lead to trans women who look like men using the women's bathroom. But Mm -hmm. that's backwards, right? Because when it comes to a woman, a cisgender woman feeling uncomfortable in a bathroom, Is a cis woman going to feel more comfortable using the bathroom with someone, say, like Benjamin Melzer, who in 2016 Mm. became the first trans man to grace the cover of German Men's Health? Or is a person going to feel uncomfortable using the bathroom with someone like Janet Mock? Now, the idea Mm -hmm. here is that Benjamin Melzer is a trans man, and he's actually really super hot. Like, you should go look him up. He is attractive and built and that's a drink of water and my god (laughs) and then you've got janet mock who's like one of the most beautiful women on earth so you're trying to tell me that you would prefer a cis woman who's afraid quote-unquote afraid of being assaulted in a bathroom would prefer to use a bathroom with someone like benjamin melzer who presents as a man as opposed to janet mock who presents as a woman and is a woman just as benjamin melzer is a man it doesn't make sense these people haven't thought it through so the real question is What leads these cis women to feel uncomfortable about sharing a bathroom with, say, Janet Mock or Laverne Cox or Jamie Clayton, who is the actress in Sensate? These are all trans women who are able to, quote, pass as women. So it seems to me and I'm not trans and you're not trans. And I, you know, maybe this is a conversation we should be having with trans people. But it seems to me that there is an issue here about trans people who are able to pass versus trans people who are not. Absolutely. And I... 
I just think that I just think that people have it backwards and people are so sort of beholden to this panic that they haven't really thought about what it would mean to force, quote, biologic people who were born with biological female genitals to use a women's bathroom if they are men with huge pecs and six pack abs and beards and chest hair. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And I think that really underscores the whole idea of it just being panic, right? Like the idea of panic is that you're not really grounded in reality. And these concerns are not grounded in reality. So it was really upsetting to see Justice Sonia Sotomayor sort of take the charge in those. Yeah. But we got to talk about something else, too. That was her use of the word transgendered in arguments because... It didn't just happen once and also yikes. Yeah, like double, triple Er. yikes. It's transgender. It's transgender, not transgendered. And I I know a lot of people are probably like, what's the big deal? It's just like an extra couple of letters on the end. It's a big deal because trans people say it is. Honestly, that's really the only answer. If you're saying something that's offensive to someone and they tell you, hey, this is offensive and I'd prefer you to use this language, then just use the language that they're asking asking you to use because it's no skin off your back. And it shows the trans person that you're talking to that you actually give enough of a shit to try to listen to how they feel and how they want to be referred. So Justice Sotomayor, transgender, please. Transgender. We love you. Please say transgender and not transgendered. Okay, so why does Sotomayor falling for bathroom panic or using transgendered matter other than just we're not happy about it? Well, because it's absolutely a given that there's going to be a bathroom case or some kind of case where the Supreme Court is going to be called upon to rule on trans bodies. That case is going to wind up at the Supreme Court. In fact, one already did, but was sent back down to the lower court. That was the Gavin Grimm case, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the high school student who sued the Gloucester County School Board. And in fact, last May, the court declined to hear a bathroom panic case out of Pennsylvania. That case is called Doe v. Boyertown. And we did an entire episode on it, which you should absolutely go back and listen to. Apparently we did. I had forgotten that we did. But, you know, time is a We both forgot, to be fair, Amani. <laughs> We did. We've done a lot of episodes over the past couple of years. It's okay that we forget. Also, we should probably take our Ritalin. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the point is, it's only a matter of time before the Supreme Court is asked to essentially pass judgment on trans identities. And that's going to have profound implications. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, imagine a ruling that effectively accepts the conservative argument that it is possible to raise a religious objection to a trans person's existence. I object to you being. Right. Right. I mean, what is that? And that is what they are claiming when they insist that their, quote, sincerely held religious belief that biological sex is immutable and therefore cannot be changed. That's what they're claiming, that their beliefs serve as a veto over a trans person's right to exist. There is no room for error here. And we need Sonia Sotomayor. Please, Sonia, please get on board. We need you to get on board. Trans people need you to get on board. There's I mean, you're right. There is absolutely no room for error here. Also, because the other side has shown that they get what's at stake in these cases. Right. One of the things that blew me away during oral arguments was Solicitor General Noel Francisco formally of the Alliance Defending Freedom, like one of the biggest anti-trans litigation mills out there, 
Our current Solicitor General dropped a cisgender in his arguments. This may be the first time cisgender got dropped in oral arguments in the Supreme Court, and it came from a former ADF attorney, Mm -hmm. and it didn't sound awkward, and it didn't sound rehearsed. Right. It sounded like someone who's been intellectually working in this area for a while now and knows how to navigate this space. Mm -hmm. So if Noel Francisco can say cisgender fluently and not use transgender, when he actually believes the terrible things associated with folks who say transgendered on the regular, Mm -hmm. then Justice Sotomayor should be able to get this as well. Yes, she absolutely should. And, you know, Justice Sotomayor has demonstrated that she is the one justice who can connect civil rights violations to real world consequences. Yes. And we need her to be able to do that for trans rights cases, whether it's Harris Funeral Homes or some future case involving rules forbidding trans people from using the bathroom that corresponds to their gender identity. And she's yep. done this in a couple of cases before, right? Like, for example, her dissent in Utah v. Strife is practically a Black Lives Matter manifesto. And that's mm-hmm. one of the cases we focused on in our episode when we talked about how much she's a boss. So you should go back and listen to that case. And she did the same thing in Houston versus A. Randolph Institute, another case that we did a podcast about. And that case was about mm-hmm. the Ohio voter purging nonsense. And she was able to draw a connection between historical voter suppression and the pernicious effects of Ohio's voter purge process. And so this idea that she's able to connect the dots when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to voter suppression, it demonstrates that she's going to be able to connect the real world consequences of the oppression of trans people to what their lived reality is. And it's important that she be able to make that connection between the law and lived reality so that we can have some hope that trans people will be recognized as human at some point in the near future, which is something that people like, I don't know, every lawyer working at ADF doesn't want to see. Like, we know she is adept at taking these stale legal principles and painting a broader, bigger picture about how these principles will actually affect people's lives. So that's why I found her comments during the yeah. Title Seven arguments so disappointing. And that's why I want to take her out for a bottle of rosé and then go ride bikes. You know, I think she'll get it. She will. I do. She will absolutely get it. I have no doubt that she will get it. It's just that she needs to be called in. And I think we are the people to do it. So, Sonia, if you're listening or if you are a clerk of Sonia's and you're listening, have her call us. We will we will provide the wine (laughs) and the bikes even. (laughs) <laughs> totally. That is right up my alley. I got that. If I can do anything, it's the active lifestyle right. We're stuff. not going to go bike riding in the mountains because I will die. So I no. need like a straight flat surface. <laughs> Absolutely. Just around the mall. Exactly. In DC. <laughs> exactly. Just bike ride around the mall. <laughs> oh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, you, there's honestly nobody on the bench who is better at getting these principles and creating law that articulates the ways in which civil rights violations harm people so very specifically and so very deeply. So please, let's get on the other side of this issue soon. Yes, let's do that. And uh, on that note, we are going to wrap up our lovely call-in for, for Justice Sotomayor, if you would like to talk to us about how much we love Sotomayor and how much we yes. need her to get better on trans rights, you can follow me on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. You can follow Jess on Twitter at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. And you can follow at Rewire underscore news. 
And you can and should join our Facebook group because guess who's back in the news, guys? Justice Brad McBeer, Chugs McCaverton, Beer Pong Flip the Cup. Um, Beer Pong <laughs> Flip the Cup. <laughs> I don't know. Any of these beer-related Kavanaugh uh, Justice monikers. Justice Kegstan is still one of the good ones. Justice Kegstan. I like Chugs McCaverton. That's a real good one, yes. too. But answer those questions. We'd love to let you into our Facebook group, but we're trying to keep it a safe space. So, you know, blah, blah, you blah. Answer, answer the, the questions. We'll let you write in. And barring that, what are we going to do, Jess? We'll see you on the tubes, folks. See you on the ding dang tubes. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piccolo and Imani Gandhi. This episode was produced by Mark Folletti, who is also our executive producer. And the Rewire.news editor in chief is Jody Jacobson. 